Our scripture lesson today comes from Hebrews chapter 10 and 11. Let's share in God's good word together. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Have a decent Christmas, y'all. You know, don't, around my family, say, you know, you, you keep your expectations low so you can just leap over them, right? There's nothing worse than unrealized expectations. And so really our hope is that you would have a decent Christmas, a kind Christmas, a Christmas that actually lifts up Jesus, the hope of the world. So today we're going to talk about hope over hate, and we do hope they have a decent Christmas. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about um, different ways that we can have a decent Christmas. How many of you all had family over for Thanksgiving? Anybody? Yeah, most of us. And were you decent to one another? Were you kind to one another? Were you a decent human being last night? How did you do? <laughs> right? Have a decent Christmas. It's easy to get caught up in the Hallmark Channel, or whatever it might be, the shopping, or the children's dreams, or whatever it might be for you. But we remember that Christmas is about the coming of Jesus. And not just as a sweet little baby boy, but as our Savior, as one who will come again. One whom we will all see someday, face to face. And so when we look back into the time of Jesus, why did God choose that time and that place to return? The scriptures say that the word of the Lord was scarce in those days. It had been hundreds and hundreds of years since there were mighty prophets and those sorts of things. And so there's this really large, dark period from about the time of Daniel all the way to Matthew. And this is where Jesus shows up in a time of oppression and darkness, a time when the people really needed hope. And if you're here today, if you're online and you need some hope, well, this is good news for you because Jesus is the hope of the world. That remains the case, even in the hardest of times. And so if we look back into Jesus' time, one of my mentors, Bob Logan, says it this way. He says, the land into which, this is really hard to read here, the land into which Jesus was born was occupied by Roman soldiers while the population was primarily Jewish. And so you, you get the picture. And that alone presents polarizing factors um, for the people because Rome is there and the Jewish folks are there. And that presents polarizing factors related to all the things that we see today, politics, ethnicity, nationalism, religion, and military action. All this is going on when Mary and Joseph come down from Galilee to Bethlehem 
for Jesus to be born. Now, in that system, lots of people thought about different ways of getting at the problem, of getting at the hardship, of getting at a better life for the Jewish people. And one of those sets of people uh, you may have heard of, they're known as the Zealots. And Zealots wanted to revolt and begin a revolution. On Good Friday... Um, you'll hear uh, one of our readers in our Tenebrae service, the service of darkness, they'll talk about Judas, and they'll say, now Judas was a zealot. He was zealous. He would do anything to overthrow Rome by power if he had to. There were zealots, and there are people who are zealots today. They're willing to try to make a difference even if violence is required. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of hope. There was another group of folks that were very political in nature, and they were known as the Herodians. And they wanted to work within the system. Uh, Thus the word Herodians, they were connected to King Herod, um, who in my opinion was a tyrant. Um, There are other people who think of him in different ways as the grand king that rebuilt the temple and had multiple palaces and brought prosperity to the people. Um, Some people think of Herod like that. I think of Herod as not so great, right? It's Herod the Great, but I really think of him as Herod not so great. And, and this is the, the same Herod who lied to the wise men. He killed all the children under two years old in order to secure and hold on to his power. Herod also killed one of his wives and her father. And he was a servant, a puppet of Rome, for which he was rewarded handsomely for playing along and for going along with the government. So yes, Herod built temple and palaces, but there's a lot more to that story. So if you look into the Gospel of Matthew, it says this, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened. Imagine this. He, the most powerful person in that system around there uh, on the Jewish side, is frightened by the potential of a little baby and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And when Herod saw that that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under. Friends, that's dark, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Rather than give up power, rather than look at things differently, rather than having any hope in anything other than himself and his own power, he resorted to violence out of fear and hate. And of course, that's what happens, isn't it? That if you try to hold on to things yourself, that that leads to fear of losing it, and that fear leads to hate, and that hate leads to violence. It's the way of the world, not the way of our Jesus the God of hope. There's another group um, that I think is much more like Jesus. Um, his cousin John the Baptist uh, was one of these, and those are known as the Essenes. And the Essenes would retreat from society into religious isolation, and they were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were trying to be people of light in the darkness, but they, they saw the world as something so corrupt and so dark and so bad that they had to flee into the desert. And, and today, if you, can, if you would be in Jerusalem, you could actually go out into the desert, and then you go past Jericho, and you go south, and you'll come along the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and they actually know the place where the Essenes would live. And they would wash themselves and ritually clean themselves and spend time in prayer and in the Scripture. 
but they weren't really involved in a lot of the things. They were so religious, they were outside. It was almost sort of like the first monastic communities. And then you had another group that Jesus really talked to a lot and had a lot of problems with, and that was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they worked for change through established religious groups. And I would remind this because this is really, uh, really a good warning for us that the only people you see Jesus ever get crossways with are the religious folks. And we have to pay really good attention to that as religious folks. We are the ones that show up on Sunday after Thanksgiving. We have to be careful with that. That we don't become judgmental for what we believe to be the right reasons. We have to be really careful not to look down on someone else because they don't do it the way we do it. We have to be really careful that we think somehow we know what is right rather than yielding to Christ and kneeling before him to know that only he knows what is right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus would say things to them like, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. They were Pharisees and Sadducees. And then in the midst of all of that, Jesus' society had deep economic inequality, including slaves and masters, prostitutes and widows and orphans and beggars, and rich merchants. The, the have and the have-nots, it was very stark. It was not hard to see at all. And there was prejudice and violence, and they were common, especially between the Jews and Samaritans. It was well known that they hated each other, and you were not even to have someone's shadow of a Samaritan fall upon a Jew or be made unclean, which is why if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, um, you know the high religious Jewish folks were passing way outside because they did not want to be made unclean. It would really mess up their day, their week, uh, before they could be reintroduced into the community. And so I just want to share with you that whatever we're going through, I would submit that it's difficult, and we have empathy for one another in that, but it is also not as dark as when Jesus was brought into the world, the hope of the world. And Jesus has remained the hope of the world for more than 2,000 years, for people all over the world. And this Christmas, again, this Christmas Eve, there will be Christians, about 2 billion of us on the planet, all around the planet, every language and every place, and for more than 2,000 years to come and to lean into hope. To lean into hope. Well, well, why do people do this? Why does hope matter? Why does hope over hate matter? Why do we talk about it now? Well, I think more and more, at least in my lifetime, uh, hope is becoming more scarce. Hope is harder to find. People are more at each other than I've seen in a long, long time, at least in this country. Political scientists now say that they find our nation is more polarized than at any time since the Civil War. Anybody here remember the Civil War? No, me either. But that's, that is quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, not since the 1800s have we seen this sort of divisiveness in our country. And if you reflect on it, it can be really challenging, very scary, actually. And so we have to wonder and pray before the Lord, what, what is our role? What would you, would you have us do to bring hope and help and light and joy into the world again? Because hope is fading in our country. One person fatally overdosed every five minutes during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I've shared this many times over the last uh, number of months, and that is that the actual, um, the longevity of our folks 
has been in decline over the last number of years. And part of it is, of course, COVID now, but before that, it was the opioid addiction and suicide rates. We're losing hope. And so more now than ever, perhaps, the world needs people of hope, needs people of light, people who will come alongside folks and care for them and empathize with them and rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, the very things that our scriptures call us to do. This was very depressing to me. Um, More Americans, more young people are now saying that they're not planning to have a child ever. They look at the world and they say, no, I'm not bringing a child into this. And you know what I think pained me worse than that is the next line, every time I read an article about this, the next line is, and we're not sure our economy can stand up if we don't have enough workers. Like that's the worst thing about this. I mean, you hear the lack of empathy, the lack of hope, that really all they're worried about is the economic bottom line because we don't have enough workers in the future to either pay our pensions or to get us the sort of goods or services we need as if our ability to consume was the most important thing about us. Which, of course, you know is not as people of hope. And yes, the U.S. birth rate has declined for the sixth straight year, according to the Pew Research Center. In our country, less people and less people and less people are having children. And those who do are having fewer of them. Why is that? I think it's partly tied to hope. The people, as they they look out, as they telescope into the future, they don't have the same sense of hope that people did in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and even in the 80s and 90s or the early 2000s. And friends, this is so important that we hold on to hope, that we become people of hope, that we remain people of hope because hope is powerful. And hope changes things. Hope changes us in life and in death. I have the unique position to be able to be with people who lose loved ones in the very first minutes and hours and days of their loss. And I can tell you firsthand the incredible difference between the families who have hope in Jesus and the resurrection and the potential of seeing their loved one again and that sure knowledge of that, and those that don't. Those that are like, oh, I, don't, I don't really know what's going to happen to them. I don't, they don't have that sort of that peace in their own heart or family. Uh, they, they, they don't have that assurance, that peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I don't say that as some sort of arrogance. I, I say just the, the power of what I see and how important that is and what a blessing it is to those who have that and receive that to their children and their grandchildren and their loved ones and to them themselves. I don't think there's really anything more beautiful than watching a child come into the world or watching one of God's children return back to him in the right way at the right time. Death is always difficult, but it is much different with hope or without. So Paul writes to the early church. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. No, that's not us. We are people of hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. That's our faith, that we're never fully separated from those we love. Not ever, not a single day, not a moment. That is simply a time of waiting before we're reconnected. Hope over hate. And of course you know that this is true for all people in all places and all times. And this hope 
should change us. It should change our society. It should change the world. But even so, even though we know this, there were still nearly 4,000 anti-Asian incidents reported in the last 12 months. People simply being harassed and hurt and violence coming their way simply because of the color of their skin. More than a thousand of those were in New York City alone. We think about what is going on when that happens, when we allow that to happen, when we're not engaged in, in helping people say, no, 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 we're people of hope. We're people that we're not people of violence. We're not people of hate. We're not people of fear. Because hate hurts both those who receive it and those who carry it. It's a poison, friends. It's nothing that we want to be a part of or receive, either one. The world cannot afford it. Not at all. In 1990, 91, I had the, the great... Um, really experienced. I had no idea what, what a big deal it was, but I was living in New York City at the time, and Nelson Mandela came uh, in a big uh, parade, and, and it was a big celebration, and I, I didn't really understand the import of it uh, as a young man as, I, am I, as I'm able to reflect back on it now. Uh, those of you who know Mandela's story, he was in prison for 27 years, and he was released in 1990. And, and he helped end apartheid in South Africa. He was president there then from 1994 to 1999. And this is what he said. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. I, I would submit to you that if Mandela had carried that hate and bitterness with him, we would not know of him today. He would simply be like many other people who've been hurt and then hurt back. So here's, here's a question that I ask myself and I hope that you'll ask yourself. What would our country look like if everyone acted like you did over the last three days? Are you very excited about that? The things that you did to help and to bless and to care and to bring peace and hope into the world? Or did you act like a child? I don't know. It would help if Bedlam wasn't yesterday. But, you know, these last three days, our, our work matters. Our lives matter. Who we are matters. Hope matters. And Adam Hamilton says it really pointedly. He says, what is true of us as individuals, of course, is true of us as a nation. Our nation is not made up of people over there. Our nation is us and everyone else in it. And so the, really the only hope that we have other than in Christ is his power to come live in us so that we live differently in the world. Well, how do we do this? How do we choose hope over hate? Well, one of the things that I'm a big fan of, and if you, you know me well, you know this is a really big deal to me, and that is uh, what psychologists call self-differentiation. Differentiation of self over the polarization trap. Friends, you are a child of God, and you are free to have your own opinions. You are free not to have a label put on you. You are free when your Democrat friends tell you you have to be this way, and you go, no, I don't. And you are free when your Republican friends say you have to be like this. No, you don't. You are a child of God, first and foremost. Your citizenship is in heaven. And, and don't fall for that where people say, you, you have to be like this. No, you don't. You're people of light and of love. 
and of joy and of grace, even when others are not. And when people invite you into their arguments and into their hatred and into their violence, you have the ability to say no. My Savior died on a cross for me in the world. I'm not a person of violence. I'm not a person of hate. I'm not a person of fear. I'm a person of hope. Ronald Richardson says it like this, differentiation is the ability to function more as a separate autonomous self and be guided less by other people in the emotional system. We differentiate a self out of the emotional fusion of the system. Now, this does not mean, friends, hear this, this does not mean emotionally distancing from others. No, not at all. It's about a different way of being with them. It might not surprise you that I'm reading a book called Polarization and the Healthier Church. Right? We have to learn how to live together, how to bless one another, and not distance ourselves because we don't agree, but to grow closer and to understand and to have empathy for one another. Because there's always a little nugget of truth for, for each person. People are, are motivated by things that they believe in. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong or necessarily right. But you have the ability to say, wow, that's not a choice I would make, but I can still love you. I might not agree with that, but I can still bless you. That might, be, might not be something that I would ever even want in my home. But I can still be a person of grace with a healthy boundary. Another way to hold on to hope, and, and I know this is going to be something where you've heard this over the last six weeks, but really, proper rest helps. It just does. It's hard to wake up hopeful if you're just dead tired. Proper rest puts a, an amazing, uh, you know, what, an amazing thing that a good night's sleep will do for you, for your outlook. And so when we're rested, we're able and more likely to be people of hope. The other thing I've found is that it's hard to hold on to hope alone. You know that? It's just, it's just hard to hold on to hope alone. So we spend time investing in friendships and other people who are healthy. Again, not that they agree with us on every point, no, but they love us that they have their personhood, we have our personhood. And, and together, the Lord blesses us in our conversation. We are able to lift one another up and to listen and to engage. And then we stay away from the very things um, that the 12-step groups tell us to stay away from, or we recognize them, and then we try to correct them. Um, you, many of you know this, that if you are in a 12-step group, they see you always have to be really careful, um, and so they, they call it HALT. Right? You just have to stop. When you are hungry, read these with me. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Friends, that is a recipe for pain. And here's what I've found. That people, they often know when they're hungry. And they know when they're angry. And they often will even know when they're tired. But this loneliness piece... Man, people have a hard time putting their finger on that. They're just not themselves. They're in a crowd, but they're not connected to anyone. They're just lonely, and that loneliness is crippling. Your friendships. You, everybody needs somebody that they can talk to. Everybody needs someone that will listen to them. Everyone needs somebody to express who they really are and to connect. And you don't have to be married to that person. That could be a best friend. You can do that in singleness as well as in marriage. If you are in marriage, do not do that with someone other than your spouse. Right? Of the opposite sex. That's not smart. Right? Because you want to be engaged and emotionally connected to those folks that the Lord has for you. 
in those covenantal relationships. And one of the ways to, to not be lonely is to have healthy boundaries around work and home. So you can actually develop those relationships um, that we say are most meaningful to us, like our spouse and our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters. So we enjoy life outside of work and offline. You simply put your phones away. Now, I would suspect, now, we, we can just do this as a poll. How many of you, over the last three days, tried to talk to one of your family members and they could not hear you because they were on their phone. Did that happen to anybody in this room? Oh, I'm the only one. Right? Of course it happens. It happens all the time. So just because you're home doesn't mean you're present. So we we need to enjoy our life outside of work and offline. And another way to hold on to hope, this is amazing how this works, is simply help someone in need. It's really easy to feel, uh, you know, down and out about something in your life until you actually go help someone. You make a difference in their life, and then it really, really recalibrates your view of your own life, and you become a helper. And then finally, don't let your fear hijack your future. Will you say that with me? Don't let your fear hijack your future. My goodness, I see so many children and so many adults that don't act, they don't do because they're afraid. They're afraid that they won't do it perfectly, so they don't do it at all. And they miss out on on things that are supposed to be enjoyable, things that are meant to be recreation, right? Recreation, not work. Did, Did you know that basketball is a game? You can actually play it for fun and not keep score even. You, you, can, you can not know where the three-point line is. You can play soccer with or without a goal. You can have an enjoyable time with your life without having to beat someone else or place them at a lower position. Alan Cohen uh, wrote it like this. He says, to grow, you must be willing to let your present and future be totally unlike your past. Your history is not your destiny. You say that last line with me. Your history is not your destiny. Man, that's powerful. Your history is not your destiny. Of course it affects you, but it's not your destiny. We're people of hope. That even the hardest things, even death itself, that's why we keep the cross right here, the death could not hold him, and death will not hold you. Because we are people of, say it with me, hope. We're people of hope. And so our action step for this week is this. I want to invite you to disconnect more from unproductive or meaningless debates. Right? Now, this, I don't know who said this, but I love it. They say, you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. Will you read that with me? You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. And many of you are saying, I wish you'd have told me that Wednesday. But you don't. People are allowed to have their opinions, even if they're wackadoodle. You just don't. You just, okay. I've never heard that. That's a good one, by the way. When somebody tells you something completely bizarre, you're like, I have never heard that. And that's enough. And if I say that to you in the future, forgive me. <laughs> I've never heard that. But here's the thing, friends. You never know what God's up to. You never know what God's up to. And I choose, and I hope you will choose, to be people of hope. And I'm about to show you one of the reasons I hold on to hope. Uh, It's a video by Steve Hartman. For those of you online at home, uh, you're going to see a link that you can click on. I can't show it to you uh, because of copyright things, but you can go see it for yourselves, and so I hope you will. Um, This is about a two-minute clip, 
And I hope you'll hang with us if you're online, if you're here. I pray that this blesses you. Hope over hate, friends. It is a choice. It's up to you, the people of the light, the people of hope, the people of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.